Welcome into another edition of the Duck Territory Podcast, signing day edition. Second signing day edition. Second signing day edition. Uh, Eric Scopel and I, Matt Perrin, we just walked away from uh, Oregon football's second signing day uh, press conference. We spoke with Mario Cristobal for about 30 minutes, uh, various topics on hand. Um, this was kind of more of a press conference of kind of collecting background information collecting you know not necessarily talking about the guys that they got uh but more so of just you know overall big picture type of stuff absolutely and i think that's the way it probably was expected to go because oregon signed we should mention three players yeah. today or announced three they've announced three uh logan sagapalu at the time of this podcast apparently has not had his arrive they didn't yeah. talk about at the press conference that week we saw pictures of him signing some actually shoveling snow yeah in his oregon shorts which i don't know i practice some sweats on man yeah <laughs> But, uh, hey, but big offensive linemen, right. man. They're, they you're can right. take any cold. It right. doesn't they matter. Can, they can handle it better than I. I would not. I braver man than I. I'll put it that <laughs> way. Uh, we expect he'll sign with the Ducks. Obviously, he's enrolling later. But a lot of what was spoken. You're right. Was was about kind of how Oregon, uh, kind of how this impacts Oregon. What this looks like big picture yeah. for the conference. Um, we'll have some stuff on the site later. But a lot of I think good conversation about kind of the uh, the way the conference. W- what they need to improve upon, and he can make some generalizations about the size of the linemen. So, yeah, a lot of a lot more conversation regarding that stuff. Oh, we got the start of spring practice was announced. Um, it will be starting on March seventh. So, a lot of just information across the board. A lot of topic uh, discussion on what's going to happen with Oregon's wide receiver, the open wide receiver position, the recruiting coordinator position. What Cristobal liked with Ken Wilson, who they've added to the staff to replace Court Dennison. So, yeah, a lot of non-recruiting information was kind of shared, but he did open by saying that it might look anticlimactic because the Ducks only signed three guys, but that they feel like they went out and got three really good players and even specified that they got the exact player they wanted at the exact position they wanted. It was kind of unclear if that was Jamal Hill, DJ James, or Christian I think Williams. it was Christian Williams. I would imagine it was Christian Williams who did announce his commitment today. Yeah, the Ducks, so let's go through it real quick. They've announced three guys, Jamal Hill, three-star safety uh, out of Morrow, Georgia, uh, six foot one, 195 pounds. DJ James, a six foot cornerback out of Mobile, Alabama. Uh, and then Christian Williams, who's a three star defensive tackle, six foot three, 296 pounds from Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, we're waiting on Logan Sagapalo. There's really no, any indication of, you know, there's fear he could go somewhere else. Um, I mean, if you're braving snowy elements, uh, in your Oregon shorts, to shovel snow, to go sign your letter of intent. I think that kind of tells you I, your There's intentions. literally photos of him signing yes. on, on social media, so yes. I wouldn't be concerned. Yeah, so uh, Oregon goes in now with 25 uh, guys that have signed scholarships with Oregon. Logan Sagapalu will be the 26th, and the caveat with him is he's going to take a two-year Mormon mission, or at least he has emphasized that prior to today. Mario Cristobal couldn't talk to him about it, talk about him today. Right. So he couldn't say, yeah, he's you know, he's here. He's actually not going to take a Mormon mission. Uh, but that's kind of what things stand now. Uh, Cristobal really spoke highly of all three guys that he signed. Uh, DJ James, a cornerback, he, off, he got offered by Alabama. This to, morning. This morning. <laughs> uh, the, the Crimson Tide needed a cornerback, and they offered an in-state guy. And typically, look, same thing here. When Oregon typically offers an in-state guy late, late in the process, they get him. Uh, Alabama offers an in-state guy. They typically get that guy. And he said, no, uh, I, I want to go to Oregon. He signed with the Ducks. I think that's a 
really big get for Oregon at this current stage. I mean, to pull, and obviously Alabama did put the full court press on sure. until very late, but to get a player that Alabama wanted in the state from the state of Alabama, that's a big deal. And if you've watched the highlights, you understand. This is a guy who was a four-star recruit for a, a portion or maybe even the majority of his Recruiting process, he was downgated to a three star, but at six foot one, six foot one seventy, he's obviously slight of build. But if you go watch the film, this guy makes play after yeah. play after play. He and Triquez Bridges, also from Alabama, two two defensive backs that Oregon is bringing in that are just ball players. They make plays, and uh, one of the things Cristobal said about James today was that with all the long rangey receivers they faced in the conference, they wanted to go get a long rangey cornerback to kind of defend those guys. And he said, we find ourselves with a guy with elite twitch who can stay with some of those bigger bodied wide receivers. So I think this is a great that's a great addition as well. I think all three guys that they brought in, we've talked about those defensive yeah. players, fit positions where they could use some depth. Obviously cornerback, pretty thin defensive line, they need some big bodies, and Jamal Hill at safety, another really good player. I think, you know, this class obviously heavy lifting was done in December and prior to that, but they I think they capped this off pretty darn well. And it sounds like there could be some more additions. We've already talked about Sakapulu, but um, a couple of other players uh, are still on the market that Oregon could also go out and add. One of which is Puka Nasia, who yeah. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I probably butchered it, but he's Puka Nakua, I believe. Puka Nakua, who uh, is not announcing today on, which is Wednesday on signing day, and will announce later this week. And Oregon is still a finalist for him. He's a very good receiver. Yeah, and here's the deal with that is that's kind of the big thing left up in the air. And um, I asked Mario Cristobal kind of what the status was of the receiver position search to replace Michael Johnson, who had departed uh, from Mississippi State, and he said he's vetted a lot of candidates uh, to fill that wide receiver position and said that he's close to making a hire, kind of said here in the next couple of days to a week he expects it to maybe be, be done, uh, but he said he's not going to rush it. He, he says, I quote, I'd rather get it right than try to hurry it and maybe not do as well, uh, and I think Puka is waiting to see what Oregon does, because if he wanted to go to UW, he could have signed today and just ended it, ended the process and, and, and go uh, to Washington. I'm not saying Puka is going to go to Oregon once they make the hire, but the Ducks hosted him for an official visit the weekend before signing day, and they did enough of an intrigue into his family and into, into his recruitment that they're willing to wait to see what happens with the position coach, probably to allow the position coach to call him, allow – his family to do some his, some research on that coach, uh, and then make an informed decision on: Do I want to go to Oregon? Do I want to go to Washington? Do I want to stay with USC, who he's currently committed to? Right. Uh, and but then, not really. But not really. <laughs> or you know maybe even Utah or BYU, uh, you know in-state schools there. So I, I think we're, we're finding out a little bit more details. We're kind of connecting the dots here, um, and then in terms of just how Oregon was able to withstand. You know, coaches leaving during assignment. This is a that's a great point. It's a new era of college football because Oregon signed 22 guys uh, in December 15th, I believe, or 17th, yeah. and two coaches that signed. Let's just real quickly go through the list here. Uh, one, two, three, four, eight guys. Eight eight out of the 22 guys that they signed. Uh, outside linebackers coach Court Dennison, wide receivers coach Michael Johnson, had their hands involved in signing these players. Uh, they left the program. Dennison went to Louisville as a co- defensive coordinator. Michael Johnson went to Mississippi State for a lateral move to be their wide receivers coach there. Um, Oregon was able to withstand 
both those departures after signing day. And the recruiting coordinator. And the recruiting coordinator as well, Stephen Field. He actually went to Louisville with Court Dennison and then less than a week later was offered a position coach to coach tight ends at Miami and circumvented his, his stay at Louisville over to Miami. So that's where he's at now. So the, the guy that's responsible for kind of coordinating everything, uh, thinking big picture, long term, and from a recruiting standpoint, that's Field. He's He's been gone since, uh, I, I think, early, early January. January. Yeah. And then uh, Johnson's been gone for about two weeks now. And Court Dennison's been gone for about three or four weeks. He left right around the same time as Field. Yes. Uh, and so Oregon was able to withstand that and, and get through that. And Chris DePaul credited uh, that a change in approach yeah. to, to handle that. And I really liked it. What he, ex- he explained is that they basically went out. And, and last year there was some turnover as well. And, and they didn't think they necessarily handled that as well. Because previously they had basically one primary recruit on each co- on each target. That coach leaves. Now you don't have a guy with the relationship there. So he said they went out and assigned multiple coaches to each target to avoid issues like they suffered last year. Um, because, as he said, coaches come and go sometimes, uh, and that's just part of the business. And I think they did a really good job. I think that makes a lot of sense because, like we've said, when you go out and you have these top-tier young coaches that are going to be attracted to other schools, right. the odds are you're going to lose some of them every offseason, or at least there's a chance you'll lose one of them every offseason. So to, to make sure there's a plan in place to avoid turnover, because, look, it would have been a disaster if – half or even the majority of these linebackers or wide receivers had gotten out of, found a way to get out of their signed letters of intent and gone to another school because they lost out on Dennis, or because they lost Dennison and Johnson. But instead, like you said, all those guys have remained solid. A couple of them are already enrolled in classes at Oregon right now or will be enrolling in the spring. So, I mean, this is the way to do it. And I think it was interesting hearing him be up front and kind of how they've changed some things. Sure. Um, going forward, and I, I assume it's going to be the way they, they continue to operate because it makes almost too much sense rather than putting all the pressure on just one guy. We should note that Oregon still is on track for their best class in school history. They are, as of 12.05 p.m. on signing day, Wednesday, February 6th, the Ducks are ranked 7th in the country, 1st in the Pac-12. Uh, the closest school in the Pac-12 to catch the Ducks is USC at number 17, uh, with 249.56 points. And then the Washington Huskies are 18th in the country, just less than two-tenths of a point behind the, the Trojans at 24, uh, 249.35 points. And to give you perspective, uh, neither of those teams are really all that close to Oregon. The Ducks have uh, 277.98 points. And now this is where things get interesting because – you know, the class is pretty much done for everybody. Right. Um, you know, there, there may be one or two more guys that, that get added to the, each you know, school's list, maybe, here or there. Uh, the race between six or race really between fifth to about tenth is very, very tight. LSU is currently fifth in the country with 283.49 points. Uh, Oklahoma is sixth with 279.28. And this is where it gets crazy. The Ducks are at 277.98. Michigan's at 277.15. Florida's at 9 at 276.85. And then Clemson is at 10 at 275.55. So uh, Oregon still has a possibility to move up when you add in Logan Zagapalu. 
maybe a maybe a spot to six, maybe five. If I just did the cla- use the ca- class calculator, and if they added Puka, they would put them up to they would jump over Oklahoma to be six. So they would be sixth in the country. There, uh, maybe Michigan, maybe Florida, maybe Clemson finds another guy uh, in, in the recruiting process, and they add to their recruiting class, and Oregon could maybe drop one or two spots. Uh, but I think it's safe to say, you know. Things won't be finalized for a couple more days, but uh, Oregon's going to finish with their best class in school history. Absolutely. And I, I think that's a testament to the staff and their ability to adapt Oregon uh, to the new way of recruiting. And Crystal Ball noted the brand is still very, very strong nationally for the Oregon football program. Well, and you saw that just like we mentioned earlier with they go out and they need to find three players on the defensive side of the football and they leave the conference's footprint and they go get a guy from Alabama, a guy from Georgia, and a guy from Tennessee, all of which had SEC and ACC offers, attention from a lot of big schools. Um, I think G.J. James was a Mississippi State commitment before he flipped to Oregon. Christian Williams yep. was a Minnesota commitment before he flipped to Oregon. Uh, Jamal Hill was not committed anywhere, I don't think, but... Uh, you know, that, that, that again speaks to kind of the power of what Oregon is building because they've been able to now in this class leave the conference footprint and, and, and pull in players from Florida, from Georgia, from Alabama, from, uh, from Tennessee, uh, from Hawaii, from North Carolina. I um, mean, they, they, they've done a lot of legwork in this class. Obviously, they're going to continue to focus in California where they, I think, signed over half their commitments in the, yeah. in the fall. 12 back then, you add that number to 25, it's just about half. Um, and, and that's going to continue to be kind of the, the lifeline of the program, as it should be when you're so close to uh, one of the country's hotbeds in recruiting. But their ability to go out there and pull players from different parts of the country, that's another thing Cristobal touched upon, is they have connections as a staff throughout the country because a lot of people have coached in the southeast, they've coached in the southwest in Texas, a place they didn't actually um, sign anybody from this year, but they have connections throughout the country, and I think we're going to continue to see them be pretty varied in their approach in terms of where they kind of draw from. I did think it was interesting, um, and we'll have more on duckterritory.com later today from Eric. Um, Cristobal mentioned the importance of and the difficulty it is in finding defensive linemen out west. His comments there were were. I, quite honestly, shocking. I, I, I was surprised that he was so openly willing to admit that it, you know, there's not a lot of those types of players out on the West Coast. You know, and he, he mentioned just in general, offensive line, defensive line, those are the positions that the conference, that, the, that Oregon, uh, you know, and the conference as a whole need to address because he said that you watch the Super Bowl on Sunday and that's where the game was determined. You yeah. know, the Patriots and the Rams, the game was determined in the trenches. And you're right, he did. He was pretty upfront in saying that, you know, there are still a lot of big-bodied guys out west, but there's just more of them in the Midwest. There's more of them in the southeast. There's more of them in the southwest. And, again, that's where these relationships that they have could benefit them because, obviously, the majority of the defensive linemen they signed this year are West Coast kids, but Brandon Dorless is a kid out of the southeast, out of Florida. Christian Williams is out of Tennessee. That's two kids in this class that are big-bodied kids that are not from, again, this conf- this conference's footprint. And I think you'll continue to see them kind of try to bridge those gaps. And they did go out and, and sign three defensive linemen from the West Coast um, and, and some really good ones in that. But, I, I you know, I think, I, I, again, I was surprised as well that he kind of went there. And we'll kind of probably, you know, write more and kind of expand upon his comments later. But... I agree. I think it's a little surprising he went there. I also think that kind of speaks to the fact that he's not going to kind of hold hold back in the way right. he thinks when he sees the conference because 
you know, the conference, you know, to be blunt, it hasn't been very competitive recently, right. and it's pretty clear you need to see some things change. So if that means going out and really just focusing and honing your attention on the southeast, the midwest, and the southwest for defensive linemen, they're going to do it. Uh, other things that was interesting that uh, looking at this big picture thing is um, if you follow recruiting for Oregon and you pay attention to what this staff does on social media and what recruits do on social media, you will realize very quickly that they have a huge presence, Mm -hmm. that Oregon's brand within the recruiting world is one of the strongest brands in the country, and there is a lot of hype with the Oregon football program from a recruiting perspective on social media because I'll say this, they have a very, very good graphics department team, and as crazy as it sounds, six, seven years ago this wasn't – a, a part of the recruiting world. No. And it's quickly morphed into one of the key ones of instead of sending out newsletters and sending out, you know, pamphlets and flyers about your program through the mail, the new hot trend is, you know, create these graphics that have the prospects that you're recruiting involved in, in them and it be geared towards an Oregon theme. And I think Oregon staff for, you know, out west, they are very aggressive, and the the marketing machine at Oregon is very aggressive in a good way. Yeah. And it's so uncommon out west that there's this idea that they have a lot of fluff and that they have a lot of you know <coughs> fake hype. Uh, and Cristobal discussed you know the recruiting tactics and said you know look all that fluff that surrounds recruiting and he's he's. He didn't say this, but he's in, he's inferring of you know the photo shoots, mm-hmm. uh, the graphics that come with it. Which you know, we should the, mention they, they did have photo shoots and they have the new pamphlet they handed yes. out is full of pictures Cali of the kids looking great. And you know all that stuff that comes with it that the recruits you know they put out on their social media channels when they come to visit schools. He, Cristobal said all that fluff surrounds recruiting. We have fun with it, but. The foundation's not going to be popular slogans. It's not going to be based on the truths and va- it's going to be based on the truths and values and principles that make our guys better people and championship football program. He said there's there will no be fluff. No, no, there won't be any fluff with this program. And I think it's pretty safe to say that if when you look at this team and you peel back the layers, this team works extremely hard. Uh, and they, they try and present a situation where they are a physical football team on both sides of the ball. And the guys that they've signed in this class are going to go with that idea and that mantra of owning the line of scrimmage on both sides and being physical on the outsides. I mean, absolutely. And, and I think today encapsulates that really well. You go again, watch the film on the way Jamal Hill plays and the way Christian Williams play in particular. Those guys are physical and they're big and they're strong. I think Hill has huge ceiling. We haven't really yeah. spoken that much about the guys down the line. I, we've done a little bit, but... Hill is extremely physical and has tremendous upside to be a really big difference maker in that secondary. And Christian Williams, like you said, I mean, they need bodies like this in this class. And to go out and to find a guy like him late who, you know, he was a four-star prospect. I think 24-7 has since downgraded him to a three-star prospect. It's still a very highly regarded guy. To find a guy like that who they basically had no, I don't think really any interaction with prior to December and to be able to sign him in February the same thing with the other th- all three of these guys are guys they basically had no prior relationships with. And if they did, it was pretty surfacy until they really turned it on. But to sign those three guys, again, I think it speaks volume to this, class, this, this staff's ability to close. And all in all now, just from a bigger picture, just looking at it, 
they addressed every need. I yeah. Think. I mean, I, and wide receiver remains the one. And we, we, we spoke a little I mean, bit earlier. But you can you can argue they could add, they could add a couple more pieces, maybe. but they're not in, they're not in a position where hey, they absolutely missed here. They have to get somebody here. I mean, now it's just icing on the cake, adding more depth. Yeah, I mean, you, you go down the line here. They have five defensive linemen in this class. They have five linebackers in this class. They have two safeties and now two corners. They have four wide receivers, two offensive linemen, a quarterback, two running backs, and a place kicker. I mean, they addressed – oh, and a tight end. I missed, somehow missed the other Herbert, which you know, <laughs> people listening would not have been happy about. But So they, they addressed every position. And every position besides tight end, quarterback, and place kicker, they address with at least two players. I mean, that that, that I don't think you can really address no. your needs much better than that. Um, aside from going out and getting a long snapper, I'm disappointed. There's no long snapper. <laughs> they do have a kicker, though. They do have a kicker. Last year, they did obviously take a long snapper on Carson Battle, so they're set there for a while. But, yeah, I mean, this, I, I, I think we've already touched upon a lot of what makes this class great, but the depth is tremendous. And, and as Cristobal said, I think they're going to have – We've been talking about this. They're going to have 10 to 11 of these 25 players on campus for at least part of or the entirety of spring practice to j- get a jump on this. So to have – and that's probably a new high. I would have to go look it up. But they have six players currently enrolled. They add four or five, which Cristobal said today they would do for the second portion of spring practice. Um, I don't know. 10 or 11, that seems like a pretty big number in terms of spring uh, enrollees to take part. So obviously they're getting guys – into the program quickly, trying to get them acclimated and ready for fall camp. Um, and I think you have to be encouraged by their ability to go out and do that. What's next for this football program? You know, before we wrap things up here, um, the Ducks currently sit with 25 verbal commitments, and you know they've Eric will have some stuff on numbers, but it's going to get you know pretty difficult to add a couple more guys. Uh, some transfers will have to happen, right. uh, or guys will not have to get into school. Uh, or delay their enrollments for Oregon to get in uh, under the 85 scholarship limit. Um, but what's next for Oregon? They're still not done. We're waiting on Logan to see what happens with him and when he signs with Oregon, uh, when he gets announced uh, that he signed. And then there's two – I think there's really just two guys that, that you're really waiting on for Oregon right now, and that's Puka Nakua, four-star wide receiver uh, from Utah, was the Polynesian All-American uh, Bowl MVP I uh, had a couple touchdowns in that game, I really, believe. Really impressive in that game. Four-star wide receiver, like I said. And then um, there's also Juwan Johnson, a transfer from Penn State who's going to be a graduate transfer. And, you know, for Juwan, there's really no timetable. He can kind of do it whenever he wants um, because he's not signing. He's signing a financial aid agreement, essentially. Uh, so he can sign as many of those as he wants. And you recently spoke to him. And yep. He kind of talked about the, the yep. timeline. I'll, I'll run through it. I'm going to save some of the stuff because it is VIP information. Right. I don't think this is going up as a VIP podcast. But, yeah, he visited over the weekend. You can go read the report on the site. Very positive. Um, you know, I think the one thing that sort of stood out was he doesn't really know when he's going to make a decision, and he doesn't really know if he's going to take more visits. And I think, you know, going into the you – know, I spoke with him, I think, last Wednesday – and then again on Tuesday. And I think the thing that kind of, I don't know if he changed his tune, but he did make it clear that he previously, he said he had visits lined up with other schools. Today, he or yesterday, he kind of intimated that he had to decide if he wanted to take those visits, which I think, based on the fact that Oregon is the last school to host him, sounds like a pretty positive uh, situation there. So something to keep an eye out for. I think Oregon needs another receiver in this class, and I think they could use two. I think they could use both players, both Puka and Jawan, and that would be a, you know, a huge 
development for a position group that really needs some help still. Um, but Jawan Johnson's a guy who, who I think has over a thousand receiving yards in his career at Penn State. Yep. He's a big body receiver too. Huge guy at six four, two thirty one. I mean, that would be I don't know when was the last time Oregon had a six foot four, two hundred and thirty pound wide receiver. Right? I mean, I think Stanford was Dwayne Stanford was maybe six three, you know, two two twenty five, two ten. I don't know if he was the same big body. No. So this is a guy from a physical perspective they haven't had in a while. In my head, I was thinking uh, Jason Williams from like a decade ago. That was the, the the most recent guy I could think of. I'm probably missing somebody, but. He would be a, a huge addition, and especially when you could pair him with a guy like Justin Herbert, who you know is going to be in the Heisman talks. He's going to be in the talks as the number one overall draft pick. An addition with him, as well as Puka, or, or just one of the two, I think would be would be huge for this passing game. Because again, I, I think that's the one position group they didn't address so far in the spring. Obviously, they signed four players in the fall and some really really good players, but. I still think if you if you could script it, and this is obviously the white, the reason they're out there aggressively recruiting two guys still. They could script it. Obviously, I think they need some more help or would like some more help at wide receiver and two really good players are still available on the board. I think Puka is probably the best available prepped wide receiver. Not he, he might be one of the best players overall Period. available. Period. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Oregon has an opportunity to continue to move up a little bit. We'll keep tracking it, um, seeing where where Oregon is going, uh, where Oregon will finish. Uh, in this 2019 recruiting class. And, and look, uh, this is a little bit of a sell job, and this is also just the reality of it. You know, recruiting has changed. If, if you're an Oregon fan and you're, you're semi into it and you're all, you know, you're all in on, you know, wanting to know where Oregon is, is going for recruits, typically the last, you know, four, five, six, you know, 15 years of, of recruiting world, really, you know, the day after signing day, you, you, you talk about it, the Friday you talk about it, and then when that Monday rolls around, you kind of press the pause button, and you don't pay attention to recruiting basically until August, when football starts back up again for the college programs and the high school programs, uh, and, and you, you spend the next four or five months, you know, figuring out where guys are going and, you know, following the, the recruitments and the offers and whatnot. That's not how it is anymore. And so if you're thinking you can press pause for recruiting, look, we already know that there's a top 150 recruit uh, at a key position for the 2020 recruiting class that's going to be on campus in about a week. They had a five-star top 10 player in the country from the 2020 class uh, at running back on campus uh, two weeks ago. They had multiple 2020 guys uh, on campus this past weekend for unofficial visits. Junior day has been set for Oregon uh, of March 2nd. Um, this is a year-round thing now. And Oregon's coaching staff, I mean, Thomas Aarons, one of the guys in charge of recruiting for Oregon, went on the school's uh, own broadcast radio show on Facebook Live today and talked about how they already have a, 20, a plan for 2020 in place and they're executing it now to get themselves ready. And before you know it, spring football is going to be here in a month. Guys will start taking unofficial visits to check out the Ducks. The spring game will be here in two months. And that's kind of really the, you know, waist deep part of getting into recruiting because a ton of recruits will be on campus. Over half of Oregon's guys that they signed in 2019 were at their spring game in 2018. So if you're into recruiting, don't go anywhere because we'll press pause for a day. We'll press pause for two days. But before you know it, recruiting is Back in full force, and we'll have a ton of stuff on 2020. 
where Oregon's fallout for 2019 is. And, and as crazy as it sounds, we're already starting to look at 2021 because Oregon's starting to offer guys. They just offered an in-state guy uh, in, in 2021 a scholarship this week. So lots, lots still going on. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and like you said, recruiting never sleeps. Oregon has already offered 212 prospects in the 2020 class. And then you look at 2021, which feels like an, an, you know, an eternity away. They've already offered 63 players. So it's yeah. not like I mean, they've already offered like you know, their own recruiting, you know, max for the class, right. two-fold, six-fold, eight-fold already, and they're still, uh, you know, a year away from signing half these guys and a two years away from signing the other And just from a perspective of, you know, 2021 guys getting offers, and that's a long ways away, yes, but especially at Oregon, in the state of Oregon, Thomas Tyner, Colt Lyarela, Talanoa Hafunga, probably the three most noticeable guys uh, recruited by Oregon uh to come out of the state in a long time. Curtis White, Keenan Lowe, uh, Braden Lindsey. You know, these are all American players, five-star players that were recruited by Oregon that were offered by 20, by, that were offered as a sophomore in high school. Keith Brown is the next in that line. And if history tells us anything, he's going to be another elite recruit. Uh, we've already got a story up on him on, on Duck Territory as well. So, like I said, there's a lot going on in the football recruiting world. National Signing Day is here. We're closing the book on 2019, but we're opening it for 2020 and 2021. So uh, stick with us. Go to DuckTerritory.com for more. For Eric Scopel and myself, Matt Frank, thanks for listening, guys.